0: I don't know if it's hot in here this morning or if it's just the text we're about to dive into. It's hot? Okay. we might want to open a back door there or something like that if somebody feels like it. All right, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Called the message order in the church and I had all the intentions in the world that we were going to cover the whole chapter 11, but there's just way too much here this morning. So we're going to bust it up and uh, crack into it here. And verse 1, it's really the end of chapter 10 here where Paul says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so really that verse as he challenges them to, to follow him as he sets the example um, is really the close of the thoughts of what he's been speaking on and talking to the church about. And now he's going to go on and he's going to begin to talk to the church about Order. Specifically, the roles of men and women, specifically the Lord's Supper. We're not really going to get too much into the Lord's Supper side of it this morning. But talking about uh, the role of men and women and the role of communion, the Lord's Supper and public worship. Actually, let's, let's read a chunk of this here and uh, get ourselves worked up before we start. Verse 2. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions that I delivered to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is, I, I'm glad you don't have tomatoes. <laughs> no, it's, these are the words of Paul, they're not mine. So we're going to wrestle through it this morning. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why the wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Huh? What? Verse 11. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man now is born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears his hair long, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Let's pray. Help us, Lord. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Right on. And the Lord will help us. You know, as we start here, verse 2, Paul says this. He says, I I commend you because you remember me in everything and you maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. That's very gracious on behalf of Paul to say such a thing because as we've been going through 1 Corinthians, we've seen... Uh, he hasn't received necessarily a great deal of respect from this church that he, that he planted. You know, um, they said all sorts of things about him. You can see it in both of the letters that he wrote to this church. They, they criticized the way he looked physically. They, uh, they talked about how annoying his voice was. They, uh, <laughs> truly, they said he wasn't easy on the ears. They said, Paul, there's better preachers than Paul. They questioned his apostleship. They said when he writes a letter, it's really weighty. But when he shows up, eh, he's kind of unimpressive. And um, they said a lot of stuff about Paul. And so I find it amazing here that he speaks so graciously to this church. And, and I think it's a great example to us of Paul, Paul was of, of one who uh, chose to see positives. And to speak to those in people's lives. He says this in verse 3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. And we live in a culture that um, when it hears things like this, it just wants to go crazy. (laughs) And so let's try and set the table for our understanding here a little bit. I would say this. There are some things that are universal truths. That means that they apply right around the world and, and everywhere and applicable to everyone. And there are other truths that are relative. Relative truth is considered truth in relation to something else. And Paul starts for us and he defines that what he's speaking about it is a relative truth. And it begins with this order, marriage. It starts in marriage. And then he says... Um, God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, man is the head of wife. Now, um, before you get worked up or anything like that, I, w- I, w- I, would, I would say this, that Paul is seeking to make it clear that every place in God's order in his creation, there is a place for submission. There is a place to be um, on mission with the task that God has set. And so as we dive here into the deep end... Hopefully we're going to swim and not sink. We have to recognize that this uh, subject that we're discussing this morning is one of order. I want to set that ground in the first place. That God is setting order. Paul is setting order for the church, for the ha- family, and even in marriage. And I would say this. The world that we live in hates order. You can't tell me there's order. You can't tell me there's morality. Don't tell me there's right and wrong. The world likes truth to be relative and moving and and just adjust it to what's comfortable but that's not God's pattern and the world hates nothing more than hearing the church say there's order God has created order in the universe in in the church between men and women in roles in relationships see the kingdom of God has order The kingdom of God is orderly. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. I think about our Canadian election. I'm so thankful we don't have to elect. Our God, he is a king. He rules from a throne. He rules his theocracy and he is a good king. He is the perfect king. He is the righteous king and he has established order in his kingdom. And in his kingdom... You know, there's no vice king. It's not God in you. It's not God in me. There is no vice king. He is the king. And we see that he brings his kingdom into order. Even in the Godhead, there is order in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And order does not lower equality. We know that about Jesus. Jesus said, to see me is to see the Father. He was not lower in terms of equality, but he had a role in the midst of the Trinity, and there was order, and there is order in the nature of the Trinity. Now, Corinth was a messed up city. I mean, if there's one thing, if we went all the way back to the beginning of the series in the first few chapters, there's one thing that we saw about Corinth, it was a messed up place. It was the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire. And for Christians living in Corinth, these believers who had been set free from sin, found forgiveness, found liberty in Christ. Uh, they were stretching their wings in the midst of uh, the freedom and the liberty that they had in the Lord, and what was happening in the midst of that, that there was abuse in the church. And so we read in verse 3, Paul says this, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Now in these verses the first time Paul mentions head he's going to speak of physical head and the second time he mentions it he's going to speak of the spiritual head. So listen to it again. Everyone who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. His spiritual head. You know when we've been uh, to Jerusalem and Uh, Looking forward to going again at the end of February. Want to plug that? I haven't been plugging that enough. If you want to come to Jerusalem, we're going at the end of February. And uh, when you go there, you go to some of the sites. The western wall is the one that I think of the Wailing Wall. It's one of those spots where it's divided. Women uh, go and pray on the right-hand side. Men go to the left. And the men are required, even if you're just a guest, like uh, we would be, they give you, uh, what do they call those little things? Yarmulke, right? that's right little head covering and you go to the wall and you cover the head and that became the tradition of the Jews it it developed in remembrance of Moses when Moses went up Mount Sinai and he met with the Lord and he came down the mountain and the people saw him and the scripture says that his face shone from the glory of God and so he took a veil and he hid himself he hid his face and the The Jewish tradition was that they then began to cover their heads. The men began to cover their heads uh, like Moses did in regards to the glory of God. But Paul reveals in the New Testament that the reason why uh, Moses actually covered his head was that he didn't want the people to see that the glory was fading as he left the presence of God. And so he put a veil over. He covered up. And Paul says, for a man to cover his physical head, dishonors his spiritual head. Uh, We're Christians. We're created in the image and the glory of God. For a man to pray with his head covered, dishonors the Lord. You have access to heaven, to God. He says in verse 5, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head covered, dishonors her head. Since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Now, like I mentioned to you, Corinth was a a pagan city, a very pagan city. You may recall way back in the start of the series, I I talked about this a number of times that in the city of Corinth was a temple to Ashtoreth. And there was much worship in that city to this uh, false god. And one of the practices was that at dusk in the early evening in the city of Corinth, a thousand temple prostitutes would come down from the hill and they would go into the city. And they would uh, descend there into the city to lead the men of Corinth back to the temple where they would commit indecent lewd acts of worship Uh, To the God of Ashtoreth. And the prostitutes. Identified themselves in this way. They uncovered their heads. And they wore their hair short. That was how a prostitute identified. Themselves in the city of Corinth. And so a head covering. Was a sign of humility in their culture. It was a cultural issue. Look at verse 16 with me for a moment. It seems there that. It makes it really clear right there. If anyone is inclined to be contentious. He says. We have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So what's happening in this church is this. A head covering is a sign of humility. It's a sign of purity. It's a sign of honoring your marriage. It's a sign of chastity and modesty for a woman. And in the church, in their newfound freedom, in their liberty that they had in Christ as they were set free from sin, women able to participate with the men and worship. They were uncovering their heads and prophesying, Paul says. They were praying. And an uncovered head was drawing attention to themselves culturally. They were dishonoring their head. They were dishonoring their husband. Because culturally, by doing so in the church, that woman was saying, I'm available. And Paul says, if she won't cover her head, she should probably just shave it. That's pretty. Harsh, Paul. Numbers chapter 5 in the Old Testament, the law actually instructed that a woman found guilty of adultery was to have her head shaved. And so the covered head uh, in their culture was a sign of humility, a sign of modesty, a sign of chastity, a sign of purity. And a Christian woman, a married woman, would not walk the streets of Corinth with her head uncovered. Because it communicated something culturally. And so it was a practice of modesty. So verse 5 again, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, saying, I'm available, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair, cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. And so Paul, so to the women, you know, Paul's instruction is this, you know, in respect, in an act of modesty, in honoring your marriage and your husband, cover your head. And he says the covering of a man is Christ, but the covering of a wife is her husband. See, man has one head. It's tricky for ladies. You, you, it's true. A man has one head, Christ, but a wife, a woman, has two if she's married, the scripture says. She has Christ, and she has her husband. Of course, you know, should her husband be a believer and love her and honor her? It's not a bad thing. But should she be in a spot where she has a believing husband who's demanding her to do something that would um, dishonor Christ, her head? Or should she have a husband who doesn't know the Lord, and he dishonors Christ, the head? There's a real challenge for her. We understand that. We get that. And in those situations, loyalty belongs to Christ. And so Paul's comments here, they speak to a Christian environment in in a cultural context. And here, the man has one head, but the wife has two. And it's part of God's order. It's part of his structure. It's part of his design for a believing wife. Verse 7 says, For a man... Ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Paul's just throwing us a little further under the bus as we go here, right? You know, dig the hole a little bit deeper, Paul. You know, sometimes the word of God is confusing. I can say this to you. you can always, the word of God is always worthy of your trust. If there's something that should ever move when you come to the word of God, it's not the word of God. It's you. It's always the authority. So I say, oh Lord, I don't understand. That's okay, the Lord says. You trust me and you move according to my word. And sometimes it's confusing, but it's always worthy of our trust. When when the Lord formed man, the scripture tells us in Genesis, we read that he took the dust of the earth and he formed Adam and he breathed life into him. Eve, on the other hand, was taken from Adam. And so we see in the scripture that Eve, she is made from Adam, but Adam is made from God. And when the Lord formed Eve, he didn't, we know the story, he put, put Adam into a deep sleep And he didn't take from Adam's head and form Eve because she wasn't designed to rule over him. He didn't take from Adam's feet and make Eve because she wasn't designed to be his servant. The Lord took from the rib, from the side. He opened it up and he took the rib out and he closed it up and he made and formed Eve because she was to be beside him, his companion, his helper, not his competition, Not someone to compete with, but I like that, Jerry. I just saw his arm go around his wife. Not someone to compete with, but someone to complete him. Someone to complete him. And the scripture says the two become one. Two are equal to one. It's a mystery. Look at verse 9. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. You know, I, I would just say this. Like, let's be honest here, a little truthful. A man like me and like every husband in the room is in a whole heap of trouble without our wives. <laughs> we are. Like, let's acknowledge that. The Lord said it's not good for a man to dwell alone. In some cases, you know, the Lord's enabled a man to, to live that way and he can spend, spend his a life on, on his own. But that's wholly a gift from God. For most men, it's not good that they're alone. You know, and I say that wholly as a compliment to the women because if you left that guy alone, you know he'd be reduced to grunting and scratching and barely bathing, and who knows what the deal is (laughs) without our wives, right? Seriously, you know, ladies, you can look at the man next to you and God bless him, but without you, without you in his life, the Lord only knows, right? And in all of God's creation, you know, each time as we read in Genesis that the Lord moved from day to day and he made parts of his creation, he, he always summed it up. It says the scripture says he saw and it was good. 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 And the first time God says, oh, it's not good, was man when man was alone. When man was alone, this is not good. You know, I think the Lord created man to rule over creation. And there Adam was, reduced to scratching and grunting and not washing or whatever the deal was. And so the Lord says, I will make a helper that corresponds with him. A completion because he's incomplete without her. You know, I think about my wife. She's downstairs serving this morning. She completes me. It's the truth. She completes me. Apart from Christ, apart from salvation, my wife is the greatest gift in my life. She is a gift from God. The scripture says in Proverbs that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. That's what a wife does for a man. And I would say to you dudes, like husbands, you should lean over to your wives right now and you should say in their ear, you complete me. And those who didn't should take some (laughs) lessons about romance from the preacher, okay? (laughs) Tell her, you complete me. You know, some men complain about their wives. Say this, and they say that, and she isn't this, she isn't that, and they bemoan their marriage partner. They bemoan that whom the Lord has brought them. And you know, I would say to you this, what you're failing to see, that your wife is a reflection of you you get that, guys, that are complaining about your wives? Your wife is a reflection of you. And Paul tells us in Ephesians that a man uh, should seek to love his wife like Christ loved the church and lay down his life for her. Love her. You know, Proverbs 31 speaks of the woman who fears the Lord, and it says this in verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also. He praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her lips. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Let me tell you something, guys. If you have a wife who fears God, you have a gift from God. You have a gift from the Lord. You, know, you think back to the garden and creation. Adam didn't get it. He didn't understand. God had to bring before Adam all of the animals. Look at them. Name them. Mr. and Mrs. lion. Mr. and Mrs. ostrich. Mr. and Mrs. giraffe. Mr. and Mrs. bear. I don't know. Whatever w- was the deal. And there was no matching partner, no pair. No equal for Adam. No Mrs. Adam. <laughs> and you know as, as you read Genesis, it's hard to know whether Adam realized it or not. I just happen to think he probably didn't. Um, but the Lord put Adam into a deep sleep and then he took that rib from his side and he formed woman and he brought her to Adam. And Adam said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and she will be called woman for she was taken from man. And woman was created, Eve was created to bring completion to Adam. The two become one. His helper, his companion created from a rib in Adam's side. Verse 9 again. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels? Huh? (laughs) There's one of those verses in the New Testament. What does that mean? I don't know. Let's go on. No, just kidding. But it is. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. Like, what does that mean? You know, I feel like, okay, we're starting to get a handle on this. And then you throw that in, Paul, because of the angels. Um, you know, not the first reference to angels in the book of First Cor- in this letter of the Corinthians. Paul said in chapter 4 that he felt like as an apostle that he had been made a, a fool for Christ. That, uh, that the apostles were on exhibit, on exhibit to the world, and really, beyond the world to the angels, God had made the apostles like spectacles, a sentence to death, fools for Christ's sake," he said in 1 Corinthians 4:9. And what he was saying is this, is he's saying, "As I serve God and as I serve as an apostle, not only is the world watching, the universe is watching, the spiritual realm is watching. The angels are observing. The book of Hebrews tells us that angels are ministering servants sent to uh, serve the heirs of salvation. That's you and I. The angels almost in a sense serve, as they serve us, they, they serve on the grandstands of this great salvation story that the Lord is working out. And angels are amazed by grace. You see that in the scriptures. They they look onto our lives and they go, seriously, God, I can't believe your grace in these creatures' lives. And they watch the miracle of grace in the lives of men and women, and they worship God. We give testimony to them about the saving work of the cross, and we point them to Jesus as well. And I think of that, I think for a moment, if if we could just Open our, if the Lord would open our eyes and we would see into the spiritual realm this morning in the room, I believe there's just packed with angels. Kind of a neat thought. We only see on one level. But there are angels here. The scripture tells us that there was a time in heaven where there was an angel who sought to supersede God's order. He sought to supersede God's authority And the scripture says that he was cast out of heaven and that one third of the angels of heaven rebelled against the Lord and they went with this one cast out of heaven. See, there is order in heaven. In in Isaiah chapter 6, you read a great account of Isaiah having a, a vision of the throne of God and there it says that he saw seraphim angels that were before the Lord. And he said that each of them had six wings. With two they flew With two they covered their feet, and with two they covered their faces. And they called to one another, and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In Corinth, Paul is talking about women having a sign of authority on their heads, covering as a sign of humility, and in heaven, get this, think about it, the angels covered their faces in humility before the throne of God. And angels are here in the service this morning. They're they're serving us, he thought. Kind of superintending that which is happening. And angels care about order. Because they've seen what happens when things go out of order. Order in the spiritual realm. And God's plan is for order in his church. Verse 11 says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Now, since the Lord uh, made Eve, there hasn't been a man on earth since. that didn't come from a woman. That's what Paul's saying here. You know, in, in the church... The only place that I see God limiting limiting the role of woman is to serve as, as a pastor or elder. I think that you can say that from the scripture and it's certainly not because women aren't competent. In fact, there's plenty of women who are far more competent than their husbands to serve. May, maybe my wife would be one of them <laughs> in, in various roles. Um, I actually think that when when the scripture says some things about that, that it says a lot more about men than it does about women. Actually, I I think that we see in the New Testament and some of these instructions from, from Paul and the apostles, though that they're hard to hear, we see God working a reversal of that which sin has brought into the earth. You know, you read in Genesis and we read that Adam sat by, well, the serpent came to that tree and Eve took of the fruit. Adam sat there and he did not defend his wife. He did not step up. And he did not act as her head or as her protector and kill the serpent. Instead he let her take of the fruit and he too partook. And because of that, there's a curse. Because of sin. And the scripture says, you know, one of the, some of the curses is this, that men will toil that the wife will desire to rule over her husband. You know I, I see dudes and I would say this. And I think it's really truly honestly the fruit of sin. Men are meant to work. And a man will sit on the couch. And a man will play video games all day. And watch sports. And grunt. And as he lays there. His wife will step up. Yeah I like that eh? And grunt. His wife will step up and she will fill the gap. And the Lord said that's actually part of the curse, a desire to rule over. And God calls for order both between men and women. And men, he says this, you step up and you lead and you be the head that God has called you to be. Go against the nature of sin laying on the couch and not leading your wife and leading your children and leading your family and being a godly man. And to the woman, the Lord says, your desire is to rule over. You need to learn to come under mission with your husband and allow him to lead. And outside the structure of the church, outside the structure of the gospel, that makes no sense to the world. And God calls for order. He calls for the reversal of the effects of sin. And the church is the example of that to the world. Men step up and lead and wife be on mission with your husband. Now outside the structure of the church, Man, it's free game. W- women could have any role, you know—prime minister, president, queen, whatever. Look what it says in verse uh, First Timothy chapter two, verse twelve to fifteen. I want to read this to you. Paul says this when he was writing to Timothy, talking about a similar issue. He says, "I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve." And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Another one of those verses. What, Paul? Should we be saved through childbearing? You know, in our culture, there is a disintegration of the home. There is a disintegration of marriage. There is a disintegration happening of the family. Uh, I spoke with someone this week, and we were talking, we, we had a few moments in the car and they were telling me about being a single parent they've raised their kids and they talked to me about the stigma that they faced being a single mother in the school system and what it was like and to battle against the structure and it was interesting as we talked because I, I told her today in the classroom it's the opposite today in the in the classroom it's it's been reversed now it's strange when it's like what their parents are together they're married. They love each other. What's going wrong? Something's wrong in that house. Why aren't they broken up? Why isn't there, you know? And that's, it, that's the deal. I mean, that seems to be the minority. And Paul says here that women will be saved through childbearing. Preserved through childbearing. Ultimately, that's a picture of Mary, of course. She gave birth to the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus. But the truth is this, and Paul's saying this in 1 Timothy that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Moms have an incredible ministry. Women have an incredible ministry, a unique ministry, a ministry to their children and to their families. And you know, I wish my mom was here this morning, actually. I didn't know. She, she, she told me yesterday, oh, I'm not going to be there. And I thought, man, I, I wish she was here to hear this. So I want to honor her. You know, my mom led me to Jesus. My mom led me to Jesus. Yeah. How many, mo- how many were led to Jesus by their mom? My mom led me to Jesus. She discipled me. My mom led Maureen to Jesus. Sweet. She discipled me. My mom exemplified Christ in our home. You know, my mom filled our house with worship. It, You know, my dad did too. My dad loved the Lord, but the reality he's a shift worker. He's working. He's putting food on the table. He was fulfilling his role in our family and taking care of our family. And my mom did much of the discipleship and the training. You know, I remember times when I was a kid lying in bed at night and there'd be a visitation team from our church and I'd hear them praying. They'd be at the kitchen table. Old George Marshall, for some of you guys that know George. Awesome man. Oh yeah, I love those faces I see around the room. George, praying with families. Mom filled our home with worship, with prayer. She pointed us kids to Christ and I'll tell you what, in the kingdom of God, moms count. Moms count. And I come through a text like this this morning and I got to say this, I'm just reminded that my wife completes me and if I'm anything, it's because of my mother. (laughs) Isn't that good? It's true. Whatever a man is, Whatever a man is in the Lord, it's safe to, be, safe to say that it's in honor of his wife and because of his mother. Verse 13, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears his hair long, it is a disgrace for him? That's why I go with this look. <laughs> but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering... I heard a story. I I like this story. It's about Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, and what was happening in the days of the Jesus people and the great revival that started in 1969 with all the hippies. He was in his early 40s and he was pastoring all of these young adults and he was bald. And these hippies were coming into his church and they were barefoot and long-haired and you know the whole deal. And Chuck was taking heat from other established churches. They were... They were saying, what's with, you know, look at all these long-haired hippies in your church and what are you allowing to happen here? And, and someone asked him what he thought of these long-haired dudes. And he says, you know, from time to time, I see a long-haired guy and I think to myself, what a shame. And then I go home and I look in the mirror and I see my bald head and I think, what a shame. <laughs> hair length, length of hair is relative. I mean, just look at Pastor Brian over there. I mean... I feel like a hippie in compared to him. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's all relative. It's all relative to the age, length of hair, and the style. What, what, what Paul is saying is this. Is he saying that nature teaches a difference between men and women? <gasps> Did I just say that? Nature teaches that there is a difference between men and women. God's design. It starts right with the covering on the head, the Lord says. You know, I, I, I love my wife's long hair. You know, I, I, I tease her. I'm like, when we're old, don't cut your hair off. Anyways, that's private. It's none of your business. <laughs> I like texts like these, these fun, challenging texts. Okay, verse 16. Verse 16, if anyone is, we're going to wrap up here. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Look, I would say this. I really, truly believe that head coverings were a cultural issue in Corinth. Some church groups practice it. They take that on. They've adopted it. They make it their theology. Nothing wrong with it. We see that here. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Others don't, but the principles remain True all the way through. It's not something that demands legalism. We're to understand this. That in the church, humility, modesty, chastity, purity, honoring your marriage is godly. The truth is, you know, when you read about the Corinthian church, CTK doesn't hold a handle, thank the Lord, to that church. I mean, they found salvation in Christ and everything else was just figuring out in a bonus if they got it like I mean that's the reality as you read about this church everything else was icing on the cake they were carnal they were striving against one another there was envy there were issues of morality there were leadership problems there were strife they were wrestling against the founder of the church there were lawsuits against one another I mean this is just some of the stuff we've been reading about the Corinthians sexual immorality, they were not serving one another, they were not willing to surrender their rights for one another. Th- this church hadn't progressed much further beyond a gong show is what I'm trying to say. And, but the reality is this, God loved them. God loved them and Paul loved them and he sought to disciple them in the midst of the gong show. And God loves us and he loves your gong show. And you know what I'm reminded of as I consider this passage? I'm reminded of that fact, that God loves you. That Jesus Christ loves you. You know, in verse 11 there we read that man is not independent of woman, nor is woman independent of man. And I would say, how much more so are we not to be independent of the Lord? Jesus' dependency. Dependency upon Jesus is God's design for you because we are nothing without him. And when God made all the earth and everything that is in it, he said, it is good. And it was good. It was good until Adam was alone and then the Lord fixed that issue. He brought him Eve. And it was good until, Until Adam stood by and did nothing as Eve succumbed to the serpent's temptation. And he participated and he ate of the fruit. And sin entered the world. And mankind that was designed to be dependent on God became independent. Rebellious to his own destruction and death. And we know that through the cross of Jesus Christ and through his church. God is restoring all things for his glory. Through repentance of sin and faith in Christ, God restores our relationship to him. We're made new, we're born again, we become new creations. And through the church, God is restoring his order in the world, salt and light. Many here before Christ would go through a text like this this morning and you'd, you'd find it completely offensive. But in Christ you recognize that God brings order. He brings structure. He establishes his rule and his kingdom. And for anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't know, you know, his joy, his peace, his hope, his forgiveness, his love, you know, I would invite you this morning to open your heart to the Lord. O- open your heart to the Lord. change your mind that's what repentance is to change your mind and your thinking about yourself and about him to change your mind about your sin and about his rule and to say God I repent of my sin and I in faith accept Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life I want to read through here till the end of the chapter and we're going to dive into this part of it next week but we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper and it says this in verse 17 if you get your Bibles you can follow through with me For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? That's it right there. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And the other things I will give, and about the other things I will give you directions, when I come. Uh, we'll dive into this next week, but. Just a couple things here as we do. Paul says this, coming to the Lord's table is a looking back. (laughs) It's a looking back, a remembering. We remember the cross. We remember what it took for us to have right relationship with our Father who is in heaven. It took the broken body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ to cleanse us of our sins. He says, we look back, but we also look ahead. He says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, a participation in the Lord's Supper is is, is a way of preaching, a way of proclaiming the gospel. It's a way of saying, Jesus Christ saved me, and he's coming again. But Paul also says this, you look back, you look forward, but you need to look within as you come to the table. Recognize, we don't come on our own worthiness. We don't come because of who we are. We, become, we come because of what the cross has done for us. And you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm not what I was, but I'm not what I should be. And you know, if I take communion and just place it in the context of our teaching this morning about husbands and wives, I want to say to husbands and wives, look, I don't know what's been going on in your house this week. Maybe you've strived against one another. Maybe you've smashed heads. Maybe things are out of order. I would encourage you then to just say, can we go to the table together this morning? Can we go up there together and take the communion elements and honor our God? And maybe you need to take a moment to pray with one another. And husbands, If there's somebody who should take the lead in it, it's you. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And as they come, I'm going to pray. And then as your heart is prepared and you feel ready uh, to come and participate in the Lord's Supper, I just invite you to come forward and to get the elements and to hang on to them. And I encourage husbands and wives to take them together when we we all do. Let's, Let's pray.